Romans 19 is where we'll be this morning, and I appreciate the good spirit that's in the in the service this morning, and uh, and I will say that I I, I don't know, um, you know about everything that you're talking about being um, being thankful to have us. We're 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 more we're more thankful to have to have y'all. I promise you, we. Uh, feel like our world has been turned upside down and it's just been shaking around and everything's a little chaotic right now and uh, we sure do thank God for Bible Baptist Church. I appreciate y'all praying for us uh, during the uh, uh, this transition time that we're in and uh, the Lord has answered so many prayers. I'm not going to take time to go through all of it this morning but uh, Brother Cooper was talking about a little bit of their transition last night and I was just thinking as he was preaching, I'm like, man, I know exactly what he's talking about. Good gracious. I mean, the Lord's just been so good to us and nervous and scared. I've been a I've been I've had two feelings about a, a lot of it. Well, a lot a lot of feelings, but two main feelings. Number one, first of all, I'm a little ashamed is what I am. I'm ashamed at my lack of faith. Uh, cause I honestly, I envisioned our family living in a cardboard box somewhere on one of these mountains around here, you know, and, uh, and the Lord's give us a house and that a blessing. And, uh, so we're not in a cardboard box and, uh, and so I'm a little ashamed of my lack of faith. I thought, man, I should have had more faith and trusted God. And then I'm amazed at what God has done and is doing and, um, and just, uh, keeping us busy and filling up the calendar a little bit and, uh, and I'm just, I'm very, very thankful for all of it. And I appreciate you praying for us. And I'm honored to preach these mornings. Uh, I appreciate the preacher having a, a, a burden to uh, uh, just keep kind of, keep pushing us forward in, uh, in giving and in, in, in just in the revival. And, and I appreciate that. It's good to have a, have a preacher that just, he's, he's just always urging us forward and, and challenging us. And I thank God for that. And, uh, and I'm honored. I know we've only been here uh, you know, maybe a month or a couple weeks or whatever as far as uh, members, but I, I'm honored to have him as, as our family's pastor. And I've already just been challenged. He's just challenged me in new ways, and I'm thankful for that. And the media, man, the last two nights have been great, and I'm looking forward to the night. I can't wait to get back tonight. And it's just been so good. God spoke in my heart. And I just want to, my prayer for these morning services has been, uh, Lord, just Give me something that'll kind of warm our hearts a little bit, and just as we as we uh, get ready for these evening services, maybe in these mornings, God will just kind of give us maybe might be a little challenging, maybe, uh, but I hope it's encouraging. As I hope it's edifying. Uh, that's been what's on my heart, and I'm not here to. Uh, uh, to blow you out, you know. I appreciate you coming. Amen. <laughs> we got a great crowd this morning, so I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't come to blow you out. I, I know you didn't come to get blown out, but uh, but I do want to preach what the Lord's put on my heart. So I hope it's kind of challenging slash encouraging, edifying, and uh, I want to look at Elisha. I'm interested in. Uh, in this character, Elisha. And if the Lord will give us the green light, I may uh, uh, look at every morning, uh, the next two mornings, uh, look at uh, uh, this character by the name of Elisha. And I know Brother Gravely's done some tremendous preaching on the character of Elisha. And, uh, and I always enjoy when he, uh, when he hits First Kings and Second Kings. It's always great. And uh, so I'm not going to give you anything new or something you've never heard, but I just want to encourage you from uh, the ministry of, uh, of Elisha. And I want to read verse 19. Uh, begin there, and we find here we're introduced to Elisha. Well, really, he's introduced by name, I guess, uh, in verse number 16, as uh, Elijah is being commanded by God what to do uh, when he when he gets off this mountain here he's supposed to go find Elisha and uh, and anoint him to be prophet in thy room is verse 16 but here is where this 
uh, is fulfilled and it takes place in verse 19. And so let's, uh, let's begin our reading right there this morning. Verse 19 says, So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelve. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we sure are thankful for the privilege we have just to be here this morning, Lord, on a, on a Wednesday morning. There's a lot of places we could have been. And Lord, there's one place I know we should have been. We ought to be in hell this morning. We ought to woke up in hell. But God, thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for these people that have gathered Lord, just to, just to sense your presence, Lord, just to hear your word, just to worship and exalt your name. Lord, I pray that we could do that together this morning. Lord, I pray that you would take this text and open it up to us, touch our hearts from the word of God. Lord, I pray that you'd prepare our hearts for the service tonight. And Lord, do all that you want to do, and we'll give you the praise, honor, and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, I don't know about you, but when I think about Elijah and Elisha, and this is the transition here, the beginning of the transition uh, in, the, uh, in, in, in the ministry here of uh, to Elijah to Elisha. And when I think about these men, I always think about the great miracles. These men are associated with miracles. Elijah, a lot of great miracles. And then Elisha, of course, requested a double portion. And even, uh, they say, twice the amount of miracles, if you count them, uh, that, uh, that Elijah performed, the supernatural events that surround uh, these men's ministries are absolutely amazing. And uh, it seems like it's just an everyday occurrence for them, although I know it's probably not quite like that. That's just the way it seemed, right? It just seemed like every day they woke up and there's another miracle and, and something else. And, and, uh, and no doubt there was a lot, but I'm sure it wasn't exactly like that. You know, people mistakenly believe that, uh, that, uh, that the, the, the Bible... Uh, that the Bible is uh, is full of miracles, like on every page, if you will. That that miracles were just prevalent uh, through every stage of Bible history. But if you're a student of the Word of God, you know that's not true. You know that miracles were actually the the abnormal. It was not the normal thing. Miracles in uh, the Bible were uh, out of the ordinary. In fact, you'll find that they take place really in only three. Short periods of time, the miracles, and I know there. I know you know we could get nitpicky about it and find different miracles, but but miracles really take place really within three different uh, periods of Bible history, and it usually follows a a, a man, his ministry, and then his. Uh, his successor. And that's what you'll find. You'll find that it took place, a lot of miracles took place in the ministry of Moses as he was leading the, uh, the people of Israel out of Egypt into, uh, into Canaan's land. And then the miracles continued for a short while during the ministry of Joshua, his successor. And then really there's not a, a prevalent ministry of miracles to be found until you come to Elijah and Elisha, his successor. It's a ministry and ministries that were marked by miracles. And then uh, you will not find a prevalent miracle ministry until you come 
come to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you have miracles, obviously, during the time of Christ. And then he didn't have a successor, but he had successors, if you will. The apostles, the disciples, the apostles. And that took place during the book of Acts. And then as our Bible was, uh, was completed and as our Bible was put together, you'll find that miracle ministry fading out. You'll find that it's no longer, uh, no longer prevalent, if you will. I'm not saying there's no other miracles outside of those ministries, but it's not the norm. It's not the prevalent like you see it in those ministries. And, and that's a very interesting thing. I'm not going to take time to go into maybe all the reasons and, and whys for all of those things. But, but it's amazing to me that there's a lot of great men in the Word of God. There's a lot of great men throughout the Word of God in the history of Bible uh, stages that never performed a miracle. They did not know anything about having a, a miracle ministry. They didn't know what it was like to conduct great miracles. Abraham never performed a miracle. Isaac and Jacob and Joseph never performed a miracle. David, King David never performed a miracle. Solomon never, as wealthy and wise as he was, he never performed a miracle. Nehemiah never performed a miracle. Isaiah, Jeremiah never performed a miracle. Daniel never performed a miracle necessarily uh, and uh, the greatest man the greatest man to ever live according to the Lord Jesus Christ apart from himself was John the Baptist and the Bible explicitly states about John the Baptist uh, in John 10 41 John did no miracle John the Baptist never performed a miracle not all God's servants knew uh, personally about miracles but they all knew about obstacles all of God's servants are familiar with problems Amen. and struggles. Not all of them had miracle ministries, but all of them had... Uh, all of them knew what suffering was like and persecution was like and to have obstacles in their ministry. Not every ministry is a miracle ministry, but every ministry is an obstacle ministry. Every ministry. And I, I can't identify with Elisha uh, when it comes to uh, parting the Jordan waters and healing poisonous waters and poisonous uh, pottage and, and bringing a dead boy back to life and cleansing a leper and, and, and blinding an entire Syrian army and meeting with, uh, 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 with uh, 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 problems and, and having mir miraculous solutions to those uh, problems and even even in his death Elisha's bones had had revival power isn't that amazing uh, and of course we know it was the God of Elisha but yet it was uh, 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 surrounding his ministry and I, I can't identify with the miracles of Elisha but I thought about the obstacles of Elisha the the problems that he faced I I can identify more with some of the obstacles that Elisha had I think as one old writer said this that that God had one son on earth with without sin, but never one without suffering. God had one servant that never sinned, but he never had any servants that never suffered in this life. And if you serve God, you're going to face obstacles. That's just a part of it. You know, Peter said, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials. I don't know about you, but a lot of times, man, when I come into, when I come into an obstacle uh, in the ministry, uh, I, I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed to tell you how 
how, uh, how surprised I'd get sometimes. You know, we just all have this idea that if you're doing right and if you're serving God, then everything's just supposed to turn out right and everything's just supposed to be smooth. But man, we have a Bible full of, uh, full of illustrations and full of uh, 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 stories that tell us that's not even close to where it is. In fact, every one of God's servants knew what it was like to have a problem and then watch God come through and miraculously solve that problem for them. We like miracles, but the truth is, you don't get a miracle till you get a problem first. Every miracle that God ever performed, every miracle anybody ever performed, it started with a problem. It started with a bad problem. Every single one. There's no need for a miracle if you don't have a problem first. And we don't like the problems. We want to see the miracles. And, uh, and that crowd on TV, they don't know what miracles are. They don't, they don't have a clue about all that stuff, man, about you know uh, healing warts and people's legs that are, you know, one's a little longer than the other. That ain't the kind of stuff that God does. I mean, I, mean, I guess he can heal a wart. I'm not saying that he can't necessarily, but... I'm telling you, I, I, it's, the, it's the big problems of life, the kind of stuff that that crowd out there, they can't fake. The crowd on TV, and they can't fake that kind of stuff. That's right. Dead people and, and issues of blood and, and, and lepers and blinded eyes and all these things. But miracles are just what comes after the problem and what comes after the obstacles. I'm not trying to be negative these days, but I, I've just the Lord's been highlighting some of the obstacles that Elisha... I already, I've preached to Elisha and I've preached on his miracles. But I, 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 the Lord's kind of took me back through the, 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 the life of Elisha looking at his obstacles. And you can do this with anybody in the Word of God, but specifically in Elisha. So I, I want to just kind of highlight some obstacles that Elisha faced in his ministry and in his life and maybe these next few mornings if the Lord will let us look at that and how, how God helped them to overcome these, uh, overcome these obstacles. And every servant of God will have obstacles to overcome if they're going to be used by God. And the very first one that I would like to emphasize that I, that I see here in our text that we've read this morning uh, is, is an obstacle that you will deal with primarily and you will deal with repeatedly. It's the very first obstacle that we find Elisha dealing with, and it is this obstacle. I'm going to call it this. It's the obstacle of self. Getting over yourself. In fact, I want to call it this. I want to call it forgetting self. Forgetting self. Just trying to forget you and trying to look to God. Because I'm going to tell you what, 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 what pride is. Pride is when you think about yourself constantly. And pride manifests itself in a lot of different ways. Pride manifests itself in thinking that you're all that and thinking that you're better than everybody else. Pride manifests itself in thinking that everything's about you and life's about you and the world revolves around you. And that is pride, no doubt about it. But did you know pride can manifest itself in the exact opposite way of that, but it's still pride at the root? Pride can manifest itself when you think the whole world is against you and you feel like nobody loves you and you feel like uh, you know that, that, that you're nothing and you're absolutely uh, uh, worthless and all that because the common denominator of both of those feelings is you're still sitting around thinking about yourself. You're still sitting around thinking about you, no matter what. No matter if you think you're on the top of the world or if you think you're at the bottom of the world and you sit around thinking about how horrible you are or you sit around thinking about how wonderful you are, the, 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 the common theme is you. And humility is really forgetting yourself. Somebody said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but humility is thinking of yourself less. 
It's when you don't think about yourself at all. You think about others and you think about the Lord and you, and, and you, you put yourself on the back burner and not, think, not, not putting yourself down and not thinking that you're the worst person in the world necessarily, but it's not even thinking of yourself at all. It's when you're so consumed with God and His plans and His dreams and, and, and his, uh, his will for your life and His work for your life that, uh, that you don't even think about yourself at all. And pride is the... It's the killer, isn't it? It really is. It's the root of all sin. Pride is the ministry killer. It's the marriage killer. It's the home killer. It is the career killer. It's the church killer. Uh, Pride is the sin protector and the sin promoter in your life. Pride is the God repellent in your life. That's what God said. He said that He resists the proud. He resists the proud. But He gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the lowly. If you want God in your life, you have to be humble. You have to be lowly. But humility is the God inviter. It is the grace inviter. Uh, Humility makes a church thrive. Humility makes a home happy. Uh, Humility makes a ministry powerful. Humility is self-forgetfulness. That's what it is. Humility is a constant... God consciousness. It's an other's consciousness. It's a self-forgetfulness is what, men, is what humility is. And although this text uh, that we've read, it really leaves out a lot of details that I'd, I'd like to know. It's uh, uh, about, this, about this calling of Elisha. But it does describe for us a, a young man that had a call of God on his life that he didn't even really know about yet. It's already taken place before the mantle is ever cast upon his shoulders. He's already in God's mind, in God's will. That's back in verse 16. But as he becomes aware of that call on his life, and it becomes clear, and it becomes confirmed in his life, we find a young man that, it's interesting to me, that he immediately gives up everything. He immediately doesn't even consider himself, his career, his family, his dreams, his plans, his will. He abandons everything for the will of God for his life. And before Elisha would go on to face kings and and face armies, he had to face himself. And he had to make a decision in his life. And can I tell you, the toughest enemy that we will ever face is ourselves. The toughest obstacle that we will ever overcome is us. It's not anybody else. It's not a health issue. It's not, a, it's not somebody sitting across the church from you. It's not, I mean, the, 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 the toughest obstacle we face is getting over ourselves. It's getting over ourselves. And you don't, you don't just give up everything and follow God's will for your life without forgetting about yourself. It's the enemy. Self is the enemy that never gives up. Self is the enemy that never dies. In fact, it won't until, like we just sang in that song, Sweet Hour of Prayer, until this robe of flesh we drop and rise. Aren't you glad one day we're going to leave it all behind one day? Man, I'm excited. I'm excited about a lot of things, you know, in heaven. I think the mansions are going to be nice. The street of gold is going to be nice. But man, not having to worry about this flesh anymore. Man, that's gonna be that's gonna be great. Being in the presence of God, being able to enjoy it without without uh, without a consciousness of sin and self, and just to be totally that's what's gonna make heaven so heavenly. Is will absolutely be totally one hundred percent caught up with who Jesus is, and we'll 
have completely forgot about ourselves at that point. What an amazing thing that will be, no doubt about it. But until then, it's the enemy that never gives up. It's the enemy that never dies. We're constantly tempted to put ourselves first. And uh, I just want to see, just very simple, like I said, it's not going to be anything you've never seen before, but my question is, how did Elisha deal with this obstacle of self? How, how, did, how did he operate in self-forgetfulness? And let me give you just two or three things, and then I'll be done. Number one, I want you to see, first of all, I want you to see the person that he exalted. I want you to see the person that he exalted. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that I wish we had here is maybe, uh, maybe a little bit more of... Uh, 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 of Elisha's uh, mindset here as Elijah, he's out in the field, he, he's, he's, he's plowing with these yoke of oxen, and, 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 and it just says in verse number 19 that, that, that Elijah passed by him, passed by him, and, and then he, he cast his mantle upon him, that's it. Elijah didn't give Elisha some big spill about, hey, I was up on the mountain and, and, and God told me uh, that, uh, 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 that you ought to be my prophet uh, or you ought to be my minister and you're going to be my, you know, my servant and you're, gonna, you know, you're the successor. He didn't, get a, he didn't get an outline of what his, uh, of what his job description would be. Uh, he didn't get a, uh, uh, he didn't get a, you know, a benefits package or an explanation of uh, you know, uh, paychecks or anything like that. He, he, he didn't get any of those things. In fact, it's, it's amazing. he didn't get an explanation about anything. Elijah, Elijah didn't say anything. He just took his mantle and cast it on. But it's amazing how Elisha knew immediately what that meant. Uh, he knew what was going on. Now, I don't know about you, but, but I feel like, I feel like, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of give my opinion. This is just an opinion. This is not in the text here. But there's got to be something going on here. I feel like that, 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 that God must have been doing a work on Elisha's heart already. Because God obviously had Elisha in mind already long before Elisha uh, was, uh, was, was, had this mantle cast on him. God obviously had, had Elisha already in mind. And so I don't know about you, but I just know how God operates. Don't you, don't you know how God, it just seems like he's always working on both sides at the same time. I've seen that happen so many times. Preacher was just talking about kind of uh, some things with us, you know, uh, from even years ago. God was working on something on your end, something on my end. And it's, it's a, no idea. It's amazing. How God does that. He works on something over here. He works on something over there. And this person don't know what's going on over here. And this guy don't know what's going on over here. But God can see both sides of the situation. And, uh, and I'm glad he's the one pulling the strings. And he's the one that's got it all, uh, got it all in mind. And so, uh, really, it's not, in fact, that's why we would do well not for me to try to get on the same page with you, and it's not you trying to get on the same page with me. If we would both just get on the same page with God, we'll be on the same page with each other. It's amazing how a church will be in unity. It's not, it's not even necessarily you getting on the same page with your pastor, and I think we ought to do that. We need to be on the same page with our pastor. It's not the pastor trying to figure out what the people want and getting on the same page with them. But when the pastor's right with God and when the people are right with God, guess what? We're just all pulling in the same direction. And I see some of that going on. God must have been doing something in the life of Elisha and uh, working in his life. And I can just see Elisha as he's out there plowing. And God begins to just work in his heart and said, hey, I got something else for you. 
And, and, and Elisha's just, all he knows is working in the field and all he knows is, is serving his, his mom and dad and, and, and all he knows is, is just uh, his home and, 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 and doing everything that, uh, that he was told to do. And, and, and God's just working his heart. There's something else. There's something else. And I think Elisha already knew who Elijah was. I think he heard about you know, the, the prophet that, 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 that came out of nowhere and said, it's not going to rain. Can I tell you something? Everybody knew who Elijah was. He was number one. I think every post office you went to, Elijah's picture was on it. Ahab wanted to kill Elijah. Isn't that right? He wanted to, I mean, he, he, wanted, to, he wanted to kill Elijah. He hated Elijah. I mean, that was enemy, public enemy number one. Everybody, everybody knew who Elijah was. I think Elisha, maybe even from a little boy, he knew who Elijah was. Man, the man of God, the prophet of God. And, uh, and God began to work on his heart. There's something else. Something's going to happen. You'll know it when it happens. Something's going to come up, and you'll know it when it takes place. And all of a sudden, he's just minding his business, being faithful in his field by the way that's where you'll find the will of God for your life you don't have to it wasn't Elisha said when but there must be something else for me out here I guess I need to leave these uh, these uh, these oxen I guess I need to leave my job I guess I need to uh, 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 leave my mom and dad and uh, and try to go find God's will for my life no 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 you don't have to do that you stay faithful where God put you and what he's doing in your life and what you know to do and God's will you don't have to find God's will God's will will find you I found that to be true amen <laughs> It's more about God's will finding you, and you, it's more about obedience than it is discernment a lot of times. Now, we've got to have discernment, but it's more about, I don't, I, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but it's more, about, it's more about doing God's will than it is knowing God's will sometimes. And I think Elisha knew, man, when this happened, this was going to, he knew, he, he was in his place, and, and when something happened, he knew what he had to do, and Elijah comes by, casts a mantle on him, and... Uh, and he knew exactly what was going on. God was already working in his life. He knew what that calling meant. He knew what that mantle meant. It meant a new life. It meant a new love. It meant new leadership for his life. In fact, what we find here that he was already prepared in his heart. And then we see it coming to pass in this text right here. Elijah had become and is becoming and was the most important thing in his life. Elisha left his dreams and his hopes and his plans and his career and his security and everything because there was a more important person that had come into his life in fact he would be known as Elijah's minister he would be known later on even after the after the 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 uh, the, the catching up of Elijah uh, Elisha would be known as the one who poured water on the hands of Elisha the Elijah the one who ministered to the man of God Elisha lost his identity and found his identity in a new person he lifted up and he exalted Elijah. In fact, you'll find him so committed in 2 Kings 2, and we may look at that tomorrow morning, everywhere Elijah went, that's where Elisha was going. He said, I'm not going to leave you. I don't have my own plans. I don't have my own dreams. I don't have my own thoughts. I don't have my own will. I don't have my own work. I don't have my own ways. Everything about me is tied up in you. You are the master. I am the servant. And whatever you want, that's what I'm going to do. And can I tell you, if you are going to have, the, listen, the only way and one of the key to have having this self-forgetfulness in your life is you're going to have to stay real small and you're going to have to see God as real big. That's one of the keys to humility, isn't it? Seeing God bigger and seeing yourself as, as small compared to Him. He, listen, God has got to be the biggest thing going on in your life. 
He's got to be the biggest thing, bigger than anyone else, bigger than, bigger than their opinions, bigger than anybody else's plans for you, bigger than their desires. God must be bigger than you. I think about Saul, Saul King Saul in the Old Testament. He's a man that got messed up with pride, didn't he? You remember what Samuel told Saul? You remember that scathing indictment, scathing indictment that, that was given about Saul when Samuel told him? He said, when you were little in your own eyes, when you were little in your own eyes, you know what happened to Saul? He started seeing himself bigger. You know, at first, in the, the, the start of his... I mean, he was in obedience to his father. He was humble. He didn't even want to come out and be anointed king and be presented to Israel. He was so backward and scared. Even though he's a head and shoulders above everybody, he's hiding in a closet somewhere. They can't even find him. When they go to introduce him uh, to the nation as the new king, they say, here he is, King Saul. And he's nowhere to be found. Hiding in the closet somewhere. He's scared to death. But it wasn't long he started feeling himself, didn't he? It wasn't long he started looking in the mirror and saying, You know what? I am kingly looking. You know what? I, you know, man, I don't have to wait on the man of God for these sacrifices. I don't have to obey completely. I, I, I have my own plans. I got my own thoughts. I got my own, I got my own will. I got my own ways. And he utterly destroyed his life because he got big in his own eyes. I'm going to tell you something. We do well to see him as real big. See ourselves as real. As real, we 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 overinflate our own self-importance, don't we? Somebody once said about about prideful people that if you could if you could buy them for what they're worth and sell them for what they think they're worth, you would make a lot of money. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, it's best when we just don't even think about ourselves at all. I think that's the way Elisha lived. I think you can prove that. from There's a big blank spot in, in, the, in the ministry. In fact, I think that says a lot for himself. After this right here, you don't even know anything about Elisha. It's not important. There's no news about Elisha. You know what he's doing? He's doing whatever Elijah told him to do. In fact, until the, of the, until the chariot of fire goes up in the head, we don't know anything about Elijah. We don't know what he did, where he went, anything. All we know is that wherever Elijah was, that's where Elisha was. And his life was totally totally lost in his master's will and his master's ways. And one of the keys to this self-forgetfulness is you're going to have to exalt your master, exalt him bigger than anything else in your life. There was a person that was exalted. Elijah was exalted in Elisha's life. Not only that, but let me give you a second thought here. Not only I want you to see the person that was exalted, but secondly, uh, let me say something about the, the possibility that he excluded. Not only the, the person that he exalted, but I want you to see the possibility that he excluded. I want you to, and we know this right here. Uh, probably Everybody's probably heard a message on, on burning plows and eating cows. Uh, where he, he takes these, these yoke of oxen and he... And he, and he kills them, bulls their flesh, and he burns all, the, all of his farming equipment, everything. You know what he was doing right here? Let, let, me, let me tell you what he was doing. He, he, Elisha destroyed anything that would remind him of himself. 
Elisha destroyed, he cut off, he got rid of, he eliminated everything in his life that reminded him of himself. It wasn't just enough to leave it in the field. It wasn't enough to uh, just leave it or to give it to somebody else. It had to be mortified. It had to be crucified. Elisha was literally putting to death his old identity, anything that might slip up and remind him of himself. He put it all to death. And can I tell you, one of the keys to forgetting yourself is ridding your life of any reminders of yourself. Every little piece of you that you let live is is a temptation to go back. Because let me tell you something, the mind is breeding ground for action. Did you know that? Your mind is breeding ground. Nothing becomes physically uh, possible that doesn't become first mentally acceptable. You dwell on it and you think about it before you do it. It's in your mind and in your heart before it comes out in your actions and in your lifestyle. And can I tell you what reminders are? Reminders are railways. You know what we do do good to do? And that is to get out of our life anything in our life that reminds us of the flesh, that causes us to dwell on the flesh and think about the flesh. They're railways back to the old life. And some people, they don't understand and they can't figure out why they keep slipping up and slipping into the same sin over and over. And they keep getting backslid on God and going back and going back and going back it's because you're leaving some reminders around your life that you need to mortify need to crucify listen when there's a breakup there's got to be a tear down okay when there's a breakup there's got to be there's got to be a tear down now i i don't know much about breakups all right um just because uh, who would ever want to break up with me, right? No, I'm just kidding. No, that's, that's not true. Wait, we're preaching on humility this morning. Hold on. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know much about. I don't know much about breakups because uh, I got married when I was like 13 years old. You know, it seems like so. Uh, I've never been, never been necessarily. I think I don't know. I'd have to think about it. But maybe when I was, you know, in kindergarten or something like that, probably somebody broke my heart. I'm sure. But. I want you, some of you that know what that's like, maybe, maybe you, uh, maybe you uh, know what a, a breakup is. Sometimes they can be silly and sometimes they can be very sad, very painful. But if you were courting a young lady or a young man that uh, had recently broke up with somebody else and maybe you were sitting next to him in church, let's keep this spiritual, all right, sitting next to him in church, and the preacher says, open your Bible to John 3.16. And, you know, you just happen to glance over at him or her and they're opening their Bible. And when they open to John 3.16, right in John 3.16, there's a picture of their old flame right there. Now, I don't know if that would bother you, but that might bother me a little bit. I might say, hey, you're, you're supposed to get rid of all that stuff. You're supposed to get rid of every, anything and everything. I don't care if he gave you a piece of gum. If he gave you a gum wrapper, throw it away. Anything, unfriend them on Facebook, you know, block them, you know. Of course, back when I, was a, when I was young, when I was a kid, we'd get the yearbook out and put an X over their, over their picture in the yearbook or draw devil horns or something on them, you know. Anything that would remind you, when there's a breakup, there's got to be a tear down. 
you got to get rid of that stuff. You know why? Because, because there's, there, 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 there's, a, there's always that feeling. If you look over and she's got his picture in John 3.16 in her Bible, there's always that idea like, well, maybe she's thinking about Maybe she's not over him. Maybe she's going to go back. Maybe, maybe. And there's always that, that possibility that if there's anything that's going to remind her of him and she's going to leave you and go back to him. T- I know that's a carnal illustration. It's the best I could do this morning. I was thinking about it. But man, where there's a breakup, there's got to be a teardown. you got to get rid of those things in your life. And can I tell you why we have trouble forgetting ourselves? It's because we got reminders everywhere of ourselves. This whole world exists. This, that's, how, that's how the operation of this world, this world resists, exists and, and operates. And it's just one big reminder of ourselves. And that's the, isn't that the gospel of this world? Isn't that the motto of this world? Isn't that what they preach to us? Think about yourself. Put yourself first. Do what you want to do. Be who you are on the inside. Every Disney cartoon and Disney movie is all about find out who you are. Search for yourself. Look for yourself on the inside. Be the real you. Be true to you. And be all these things. And can I tell you what? It's left a generation absolutely. Absolutely miserable and insane. And I'm going to tell you why. Because yourself is the problem. I'm the problem. You're the problem. I can't be the answer. Finding myself can't be the answer. In fact, finding yourself might be the scariest thing you've ever done. And you change so often when you find yourself one day, you're going to be in a different place tomorrow. (laughs) And you're constantly on this quest that never satisfies and you're unfulfilled. And it's absolutely a miserable a miserable existence. There's an everyday battle, isn't there, to reckon yourself dead and alive unto God, yielding our instruments, righteousness unto God. And anything that promotes the self-life and anything that promotes the old life, it's got to be dealt with or you're going to find yourself allured back into living that old life, living in the flesh, living that defeated life, not in God's best for your life. And so he got rid of any possibility of going back, not going back. Can't go back. Burn the bridge. Burn the, burn the plow. It's all gone. No going back. Not only do we see the person that he exalted and the possibility that he excluded. But let me give you this and I'm done. I want you to see the pleasure that he experienced. The pleasure that he experienced. You know, a lot of times when we think about Elisha in this text, I've always just saw it this way and viewed it this way. I always think about the, 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 the cost of discipleship. There is a cost of discipleship. If you're going to follow God, there's going to be a cost. I mean, no doubt about it. There's a cost. But, but that's really not really the focus here, I don't think. I, I don't, that's not the only thing that's going on here. I mean, I think Elisha gave up a lot. I would say that he gave up some. I mean, you know, people have rightly pointed out that there's 12 yoke of oxen out here in the field. I mean, if this all belongs to his family, that's a rich family. That's like having, that's like having you know, a million-dollar farm. I mean, this is, I mean, the best equipment, and there's servants out there and all kind of things. I mean, because he's just, he's just plowing with one yoke of oxen. There's 11 others. There's other people out here. This is a, this is a big operation. And think about this. I, I thought about this, too, because it's finally, it's finally time. There's, there's been a drought for three and a half years. There's been no rain. Well, the faucet just got turned back on. Things are growing again. Life's had a business. Economy is about to boom. I mean, things are picking up. If there's ever a time to be in the farming business, this is the time. This is the moment. I mean, you're about to make a killing. Finally, after these years of drought and after these years of nothingness, there's an opportunity to make some money and to make a living. 
He's at the precipice of an economy that's about to boom. And here Elisha is with his rich family probably and and this great opportunity that's here, this big future that, that is in front of him. And Elisha gave it all up to wash the hands of an old man. Gave it all up. People probably thought he was crazy. No doubt about it. But, but honestly, just the limited information we have about this event, it doesn't seem like Elisha views, views it this way at all. Uh, Elisha seems to be, he's familiar with the mantle. He's familiar with the work of the prophet. It's almost like I said before, it's almost like he was awaiting an opportunity to serve. Like he's excited. In fact, the Bible says that he, he, when Elisha, Elijah cast his mantle on him, it says, verse 20, that he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah. It's almost like, listen, this isn't something he was dreading. This isn't something he was mad about. This is something he had to contemplate and thought, man, I really got to give it some thought. I got to think about all the things I'm giving up before I just make this commitment no as soon as I'm talking about as soon as that mantle touched his shoulders he jumped off of that plow and he took off running towards Elijah he said almost like wait 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 don't leave me I want this life this is what I want more than anything Elisha didn't see it as a drudgery Elisha didn't see it as what he was giving up Elisha saw it as something he was gaining as not something he had to do but something he was getting to do can I remind you it's a privilege to serve God. Listen, you don't have to be here this morning. You get to be here this morning. It, well, it's not a drudgery. It's not a, it's not a dread to be here. Listen, what an amazing pleasure it is to serve God and to be in His service. He willingly, nobody asked, listen, nobody asked him to burn cows and burn plows. Nobody asked him to do that. He said, I want to do it. He willingly did it. He wanted everybody to know that, listen, this is my old life. I'm not coming back. This is what I want to do. This is what God's doing in my life. And what he does, you know what he does? He turns it into a big party. He's serving food to everybody. Everybody come by and get you some barbecue. Everybody come by and get you a plate. Man, this is my going away party. I get to serve God. I get to go and and be be the servant, be the attendant, be the minister to the man of God. Man, God's called me out of all the people he could have chose. He's chosen me. Let's have a party. And he's throwing a party right here. Does that sound like somebody that's sad about what God's doing in his life? Looks like somebody that has some joy in his life. He turns it into a huge feast. And he's celebrating this thing. What an opportunity of a lifetime. What a privilege it was. And can I tell you one of the keys to self-forgetfulness? It's to find a greater joy in God than you do in yourself. You can't help it. You're going to do what you enjoy. I'm going to tell you, people... That's something I learned. I had to learn this really quick when I first started pastoring. That's this thought. That's this right here, this truth. People do what they want to do. Amen. People do what they want to do. That's it. People do what they want to do. I understand sometimes where, you know, things hinder us. I'm sure there's a lot of people who love to be here this morning. They just, they just can't. I'm not implying anything like that at all. But for the most part, people do what they want to do. They do. And so, you know what we need? We need God to change our wonder, don't we? We need God to change us from the inside. And people do what they find joy in. And and I tell you, one of the greatest things you'll ever do is learn to find your joy in Him. Learn to find joy. I'm telling you what, you don't have to look hard. It's there. 
And uh, because it's the greatest life in all the world, it's the best life that anybody could ever live. Let me tell you who the most miserable people in this world are. They're the people that all they think about is themselves. They're consumed and self-obsessed. And so I said the smallest, you know, the smallest package is what a man that's wrapped up in himself. It's, it's just the smallest thing. It's the most miserable life. It's the most miserable world. The key, to, the key to self-forgetfulness is to experience a greater joy that you find in God. Moses was like that. Moses, how in the world could you give up all of that in Egypt? Well, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 11 that he, count, he, he, he did some math. Yeah. He did the math. He said, you know what? There's a lot of treasures in Egypt. He said, but that reproach of Christ, it's greater. He said, it is a greater, it's a greater rich, riches is what it says. He esteemed the, the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt. He did the math and he said, you know what? It's better on that side than it is on this side. And it may cost me a little bit on this side. But the, but the reward far outweighs, far outweighs anything that I'm going to have to leave behind. Anything that I'm going to have to, anything I'm going to have to endure. Jesus was the same way. Uh, Jesus, uh, uh, the Bible talks about he endured the cross. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him. It was the joy. It was joy. He found joy in the will of God. He told those disciples in John 11, he said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He said, the most satisfying thing in my life is to do the will of God. And I will promise you the most joy you will ever find is in the will of God. You don't have to be afraid of the will of God. You don't have to be afraid of the work of God. God ain't out to hurt you. He's out to bless you. And if He's called you to do it, that means that's where you'll find your joy. That's where you'll find it. I'll tell you why Elisha was, had no problem of burning all that because he wasn't thinking about himself. He wasn't thinking about his 401k and he wasn't thinking about his financial future and he wasn't thinking about the family business and he wasn't thinking about he wasn't thinking about what was best for him. He said, this is what God's called me to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give myself to Elijah. I have a greater person in my life. Hey, he said, I'm going to have a greater pleasure in my life. And man, I, I'm going I'm to get rid of any possibility of going back to this old life. Anything that w- might remind me of myself and what I used to be and my old flesh, I'm I'm going to get rid of all of it, and I'm going to forget all of it, and I'm going to go forward for the glory of God. Brother Cooper preached it Monday night, didn't he? Forgetting those things which are behind, pressing toward the mark. And I don't know about you, but one of the greatest obstacles I, is, is me. And I, I'm done, but... Somebody said, and I can't remember who said it, or I'd give them credit, I'd have to look it up, but somebody said this, that, that, that depression is when you listen to yourself instead of talk to yourself. Yeah. It's when you listen to yourself. You start, you start listening to this flesh, right. and you're going you're gonna to go crazy. And I'll tell you the best thing, I'll take that little quote even a step further. I'll tell you where, where joy is found. It's not listening to yourself or talking to yourself. You talk to yourself, people think you're crazy, right? But it's, it's not necessarily doing anything. It's, it's, it's forgetting yourself altogether. Being so caught up in who he is and what he's called you to do and what he allows you to do that you just, it's not even a factor. It's not even a thing. It's just, it's just him. It's just him. It's all him. 
But we'll never serve God. We'll never be the servant God wants us to be. We'll never have the ministry, the light, whatever. Wherever God's put you in the home, in a church, in the pulpit, in a, in a, at your job, whatever, whatever God, God, everybody has a ministry, and wherever God's put you, we'll never, we'll never reach our full potential. We'll never do everything we're supposed to do for God until, until, until we deal with this obstacle of forgetting self, forgetting self, putting ourselves on the back burner, and going forward for the glory of God. I'm praying.